0: The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore In Chapter 75, the party passes through the rest of the shrine and enters the necropolis of the Egogen. Carl knows a way to reach the mountaintop ruins, and to finally complete their quest, one way or another. Passing through different sections of catacombs, they are troubled by a mounting sense of discomfort which, by the end, turns to dread. Umora is certain they are not alone, and that they are not wanted here. When they reach the Chamber of Kings, they are confronted by eleven specters, all the kings who ever ruled the Egogen and died there, from the first to the last. They are addressed by the First. King Garosti, who speaks on behalf of the assembled spirits. He tells the party to turn back, that they cannot remain when their souls are innocent of death. When they refuse, the spirits cause their hearts to stop beating for a few moments. Then life returns to their bodies, but the companions have changed. Chapter 76 Part 1. Day 100. Early evening. Party status. Harl. 37 of 39 hit points. Gyrios. 34 of 41. Umura. 21 of 28. Daz. 14 of 17. Spells available. Umura has memorized Shield, Knock, and Lightning Bolt times 2. Girios has prayed for, bless, resist fire, striking, and cure serious wounds. Oh. They materialized into fresh air and daylight. This was the throne room of the Egogen, and they stood behind a half-melted chair of gold, flanked by two oversized iron statues. These had almost certainly once been Gaxarn living statues. They were similarly melted, and no glow of magical life emitted from the visors of their deformed great helms. From the foot of the gilded throne, wide, shallow steps descended into a large chamber, some 60 feet wide and 100 long. Most of the opposite wall, where the entrance would have been, and a large section of ceiling there had been smashed to rubble, so they could easily see the blue, cloudless sky beyond. A huge pair of black marble columns had been toppled and lay on the throne room floor in a V. The space between them was only 10 or 15 feet apart and presented a kind of funnel to the ruined courtyard beyond. From above, it would have looked like a spearhead pointing directly at the companions. Umora clenched and unclenched her fists. Her hands were free now. She had pulled the cover over her lantern and set it down beside the throne after dropping the Owl of Thrasendia. The amber figurine had not grown hot in the presence of the ghostly dwarven kings, but it had almost burned her hand upon their teleporting here. All four of them were staring at the sky. Past the broken shards of the far wall, past the courtyard, they saw her. She was red-scaled and massive, heavily winging through the air. It was the terror of the sky. Nera the Crimson Queen. There is a lot to talk about before we can continue. I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. First, let's deal with what happened before they arrived at this spot, which will be the scene of their ultimate victory or failure. I'm talking about their encounter with the spirits of the Agrojanite kings. Technically, that was a TPK, but the party was never in any danger. I know some of you will have wondered about that. No, with the dragon just ahead, that was just, well, flavor doesn't quite seem to cover it. So let's call it Storycraft. All Solems must go through that same ritual of death and resurrection as part of their initiation, by the way. But, well, that's not relevant now, I suppose. What is relevant is that the experience changed each of the PCs. Girios found closure along with new wisdom and power. Harl has been released from a guilt that was slowly consuming him. Umora has made a decision that terrifies her, yet also emboldens her. Perhaps we will find out what it is. Perhaps not. We can assume that Daz has also had his moment of epiphany as well, but since he is an NPC, we will never know what he experienced. After their rebirth, the companions left the room of the ancient kings and took the single exit. It led to a chamber just like the one at the entrance of the necropolis. A small square room with a grinning skull disc of stone on the wall. Harl knew it would bring him here. He had known the whole time. Before touching it, they made a plan. If the dragon was not there they would find the most advantageous place to make a stand and wait. But if it was, there were certain things that needed to be done right away. Now, partially sheltered from view under what's left of the ruined throne room ceiling, the PCs realize they don't have much time, but if they act quickly, they might be able to gain an edge in the upcoming fight. First, Gyrios and Umura bow their heads while the cleric blesses them both. Harl and Daz have already gotten Grunmog's blessing, and I'm ruling that bless effects do not stack. Next, Girios casts Resist Fire on himself. This gives him immunity to normal fire, in addition to a plus two bonus on saves versus magical fire. Also, all fire-based damage is reduced by one point per die. Finally, he casts Smiting on himself, which grants an extra d6 to his damage rolls. Umura casts her spell of Shield improving her armor class to a very respectable 3 once the Ring of Protection is considered. With all stat bonuses and magical effects taken into account, each of the companions will receive the following in melee. Umura, plus 1 to hit and damage. Gyrios, 3 to hit and damage, and an extra d6 of damage with a chance of exploding dice. Harl, plus 3 to hit and damage. Daz, plus 2 to hit and damage. Since there is no time to make an elaborate tactical plan, Harl quickly surveys the surroundings and sends everyone to a different location. Umura and Daz will go left and right, exiting the throne room and concealing themselves around the corner until it is time to act. Gyrios is to go along with Umura and then, when it is safe to do so, keep going. They need to stay apart from each other so the dragon cannot catch more than one of them with its breath weapon. Harl punched Daz on the shoulder. Daz nodded, grim-faced. Head on, brother. Head on, agreed Harl. He turned to Umura and Gyrios. I'll see the two of you in the afterlife. Now, go. They did, following the toppled pillars to the left and right. Once they reached the far end of the room, Harl took a deep breath and struck the closest Gaxarn with the back of his axe. (laughs) It made a tremendous gong. He hit it again. The dragon responded right away, wheeling in the air and swooping lower to see what had made the noise. Dragons have long, long memories, and although Nera did not recognize the young dwarven face, she did recognize the distinct plate and mail armor he wore. Clearly, this wasn't her nemesis, but some pretender. Whoever it was, he would be paying for the sins of another today. She huffed a cloud of smoke into the air and reared back, snapping her wings up and down. Opening her terrible maw, she roared, accepting the challenger's call. Then she threw her wings back and leaned into a dive, hurtling towards the solitary dwarf like a comet. Entering combat. Just how deadly is a dragon in BX Dungeons & Dragons? As the game's namesake, you would expect it to be the most fearsome monster in the whole game. And you'd be right. Here's what we need to know before the fight with the Crimson Queen begins. First and most important, dragons are highly intelligent. 50% of red dragons can speak and use magic. Is Nera one of them? Rolling high-low on a d20. High means she is and she can. I have a 4. This makes sense to me. She is a creature of vengeance and rage and ultra predator instinct, not one of conversation. Of all the types of dragons, red dragons are the most dangerous. They have 10 hit dice. Because Nera Numenax is the ultimate foe in this campaign, I'm going to have her min out at 75%, not half, of her possible hit points. Let's find out that number right now. 10d8. Okay, I've got five eight-sided dice now, but I'll still need to roll in two batches. The first roll of 5d8. 31. And I'll add that to 34, for a total of 65. That's over the min out of 60, so 65 is the number we keep. Nera has thick scales that are harder than steel, and give her an armor class of minus one. She can attack with her claws for one to eight points of damage each and her bite does a whopping 4 to 32 points. Of course, dragons are most famous for their breath weapon. Nairnumanax can use hers three times per day, in addition to normal attacks. According to the rules, a dragon's first attack is always their breath weapon. Nairnumanax breathes fire in a cone 90 feet long and 30 across at its furthest end. On a failed save, the damage caused by the breath weapon is equal to whatever her current hit points are so it is vital that the companions start landing hits, quickly. There is one more thing I need to mention. This will be the final combat, and it is the finale of the campaign. Because Tale of the Manticore is as much a game as it is a story, I just wanted to say that the dice are going to fall where they fall, without my interference. Like it says in the intro, no character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. Okay, with that said, Let's begin. It is. Round One. Initiative. Initiative will not be ruled on this first round, as the party members are essentially holding their actions. When it was in the sky, the companions had not fully appreciated the size of the creature. But when all 100 feet and 20 tons of it slammed into the ground in front of the throne room, it shattered rock and caused a shockwave that almost threw Harl onto his back. NeraNuminax's eyes blazed with hatred, and she pushed her enormous horned head right into the throne room. (laughs) Saliva hissed and turned to vapor as she gathered up a bonfire in her belly, and then, canting her head to one side, unhinged her jaw before blasting out an inferno. (laughs) To avoid the worst of NeraNuminax's breath weapon and make a saving throw, Harl needs to roll an eight or better. His roll. A three, a bad start. Harl's armor will protect him to a great extent, but he will still take 13 points of damage, which brings him down to 24 hit points. Before the blast, Harl catches a glimpse of the scar tissue in the dragon's mouth where Blacknail had knocked out the same tooth that later became the horn. Then for the space of a few seconds, his field of vision is completely filled with every shade of orange. After, Harl sucks at the air, but there is no oxygen left, only smoke. Taking in a lungful, he coughs painfully. <coughs> Beside him, the two Gaxharn iron statues are now barely recognizable as dwarf-shaped. Harl can smell melted metal and burnt hair under the smoke. When the wind has cleared away some of the smoke, Nera Numenax is shocked to see the dwarf not only still on his feet, but charging her. But she has the initiative, and can take her three normal attacks before he can swing his axe. Rolling. I have a 14 and a 19 for Claw Claw. And a 5 for Bite. Those two claw attacks both hit. Harl takes an additional 8 damage from those two claws. He is now at 16 hit points, less than half of what he started with. (coughs) Now it's the party's turn to act. If they can't land some hits, their plan to make the dragon waste a breath attack on Harl will have been for nothing. Harl chops down with his axe. He needs a 15 to hit, a seven. He does hit, but he might as well have attacked the wall. His crescent blade bounces harmlessly off the dragon's scales. Gyrios is trying to get behind the dragon. As he moves quickly, he quaffs the potion of growth. With every step he takes, he grows a foot taller until he is positioned behind her right wing and standing 12 feet tall. Umura knows that a good offense is the best defense and immediately casts Lightning Bolt. NeraNuminax needs a 10 to save against the spell. She's rolled an 11. This fight is going really badly. It will still take... Okay, I've rolled 24, so half is 12. NeraNuminax is still in very good shape with 53 hit points remaining. On the other side of the dragon, Daz peeks around the corner, aiming his crossbow, and fires. He needs a 14 to hit. An 11 is a miss. That was a really bad first round. If the party can win this next initiative, they might have a chance to turn things around. It's round two. Nera Numenex now understands that she has been ambushed, but she has pushed herself into the throne room up to her shoulders. She roars in anger and, knowing that backing out of the room will take too much time, she slams her head against the ceiling in an attempt to break free of the trap. Initiative. Nera axe. A four. The ceiling cracks. The party. Oh boy, they really need this. A five. Yes, there's still hope. They need to make hits here. Umora can't do it all on her own. Harl aims more carefully this time, and once again brings his axe down in an overhead chop. A 19, that's more like it. Harl has learned to aim between the scales. Six points of damage is not great, but it could have been worse. Oh. Gyrios is next. He is now giant sized and capable of real damage, if he can connect. He needs a 15 to hit as well. A 13, he is not used to a body of this size and swings short. Oh. Umora decides to follow up her first lightning spell with a second. Once again, the dragon will save on a 10. A 14, this is very bad. Okay, rolling 7d6 for damage. Oh, this might make up for it. I'm seeing a lot of fives and sixes here. 34 points in total, cut in half is still 17. This brings the dragon down to 30, less than half its starting hit points. Moreover, it will force Nera to check morale at the start of her turn. This could be it. Victory is one good roll away. Daz has loaded his crossbow quickly and fires again. He's got a five. Ah, He loaded so quickly he didn't even have time to aim. This time the quarrel doesn't even strike the target. Curse it! Nera now smashes the rest of the way through the ceiling, using the top of her horned head to break the flat stone like a pane of glass. Heavy chunks shower down around Harl, nearly missing him, as the dragon leaps into the air and takes flight. The BX rules say that after the first round, a dragon will use its breath weapon 50% of the time. When used, the special attack is made in addition to normal attacks. Therefore, I'm going to count the breath weapon as a free action. So, does she use it as she lifts up into the sky? She's too smart to waste it on Harl again, but once airborne, she'll clearly see that she's surrounded by another dwarf, a human woman, and what appears to be an armored giant. Rolling high-low on a d20, High means she will breathe again, a nine. She's concerned at this moment only with getting clear. Now for the roll that could mean victory for the companions. Nera has a morale of 10, rolling 2d6. I've got a seven. She isn't going anywhere, not this time. She has stewed in the indignity of her last defeat, literally for centuries. No, she's not done. In fact, she's just getting started. Round three. Initiative. Naranumanax. Two. The party. One. The dragon flies up and up hundreds of feet into the sky before she drops into a glide and circles wide, positioning herself for a flyover attack. But who will she target? There are three very good choices. The woman who has hurt her with lightning is the most dangerous and unarmored, appears the most vulnerable. But there is also the giant, and another Dwarf. Nerunuminax hates Dwarves more than anything. I'm going to roll a D8. 1 to 4, she attacks Umura. 5 to 6, Gyrios. And 7 to 8, Daz. A 3, it's Umura. Nerunuminax flies right at her, unleashing a thick jet of flames that draws a line through the ruins and right on top of the sorceress who dives behind a broken stump of pillar. Umura needs to make this save or she will die right here. I need to see a 16 or better on a d20. I think this might be it for Umora. To be honest, I never expected to get through this fight without losing at least one of my PCs. Here's the roll. Natural 20! Umora throws herself behind cover just in time. It's not enough to avoid getting burned, but it is enough to keep her from being incinerated where she stands. Because Niren Umanax is down to 30 hit points. The breath weapon will do 15 points of damage. This is almost enough to kill her anyway. After the dragon has made its pass, Umora stands up on shaky legs. She is a mess. Somehow the very stone of the pillar is on fire. Her hair and clothes have almost all been burned off and her skin is bright red with serious burns everywhere. She has two hit points left. Daz is the only member of the party who can respond to this attack. Umora sees him standing opposite her with a current of wind blowing his wild, black hair and lifting his beard. Despite the agony, she has the brief notion that he looks just like one of the heroes in the tapestry at Dwarvar. He raises his crossbow and fires. A 14 will hit. An 11 is not good enough. Damnation! Nobody else has a missile weapon, so the round ends here. Round 4. Did I mention before that the deadliest thing about a dragon is its intelligence? When no third lightning bolt, when in fact no spell at all follows her attack, Naranumanax knows that the woman is no longer a threat. If this human had anything left to attack with, he would have done so. It would be a waste of her last breath weapon to target her again. When she circles back around for her final flyby, she intends to select a new target. But first, initiative. Naranumanax. A four. The party. A 2. Once again, the dragon will attack first. I'll give a 50% chance for her to attack either Gyrios or Daz. Using that same D8, 1 to 4 will be Gyrios. A 5. It's Daz. Daz only has 14 hit points. Now even if you're not great at math, I bet you know what has to happen here. Even if Daz makes his save, he still dies. NeraNuminax drops into a flapping hover over the Thangarian and blasts Hellfire directly onto his head. When the Cone of Flame abates, Daz is gone. Nobody can counter the dragon, so we proceed to... Round 5 Initiative NeraNuminax A 1 The party A 1 Action will be simultaneous. Nera drops from the air right in the middle of the triangle formed by Harl, Umura, and Gyrios. When she lands, the very ground shakes and a pair of nearby buildings collapses. I know what needs to happen here, and it kind of kills me, but it's necessary. More importantly, Umura knows it is the only way. While Harl and Gyrios take defensive stances, preparing for close combat, Umura runs directly at the dragon. She's there before it even hits the ground, screeching like a woman possessed. When the dragon touches down, Umura is knocked off her feet and lands on all fours in front of the monster. Neri will use a single claw attack on each Harl and Gyrios before spending her bite attack to finish off this pathetic woman. One claw on Harl, a nine will hit. I've got a 10. Harl takes seven points of damage as the huge reptilian claw swats him aside. (coughs) Harl now has just nine hit points remaining. Her second claw attack is for Gyrios; She needs a ten or better. A two misses. Somehow Girios gets his now giant-sized shield up in time to deflect the blow. (coughs) Now for this woman, this worm who dares to attack her. This one's death would not be a clean death by fire. No, Nera Numenax was going to eat her. She only needs to roll an eight to hit her with her bite. A 17 is more than enough. Umora picks herself off the ground, grabs hold of her sapphire necklace, and runs straight into Nera Numenax's open maw. There's no need to roll for damage here, as even the bare minimum roll would be enough to kill her twice. The mouth closes over her body, right on the spot where the single tooth is missing. Umora's shield spell is broken when the bottom tooth pierces her back and severs her spine, killing her instantly. But too late. Umora has already set in motion a final devastating attack of her own. In the seconds before her death, Umora called forth the power of the sapphire in the necklace given her long ago by Klyneth Stonecarver. When the gem responded, she made no effort to control it. She allowed it to go wild, and just as it happened when Grithwhip lost control of the binding when he tried to augment his father's armor centuries ago, it exploded. A bright green flash of wild arcane energy erupted from the dragon's mouth as the blast disintegrated most of Umora's body, taking a part of Nera Numenax's head with it. This explosion will do five D6 points of damage, Here's the roll. 15 points. It blows off the dragon's lower jaw. Round six. Initiative. Nera A three. The party. A six. The dragon is staggered. Her devastated head bobs and tosses like a ship in a storm. Her face droops low and gushes blood. It runs in rivers down the ragged strips of what's left of her jaw, painting the ground below dark red. Harl sees his chance and moves in to engage. He realizes he could be standing in the same spot where Nail had once stood when he knocked out the fire lizard's tooth, and the thought sends a surge of hope and courage through his body. Time to finish this. He chops at her neck, now within reach. Come on Harl, we need this one. Nineteen. A four on the die makes seven points of damage. Oh! Harl opens a slit in the monster's neck, and yet more blood spurts from the wound. Harl's boots, by now, are wet with it. Girios has a very difficult choice to make now. He could spend this round using his last healing spell on Harl. Daz's potion of healing was lost along with the rest of the Thangarian's body. But, he can also see that one good hit will probably end the fight. Then again, a miss will probably cost Harl's life. He needs a 15, so it's a long shot. He makes his choice to trust in faith and foregoes his spell in favor of an attack. A 12. His mace strikes the center of a scale and bounces off harmlessly. Now the dragon will respond. I'm going to rule that its bite attack is no longer a threat. It'll be two claws on either Harl or Gyrios. Harl has only nine hit points remaining, so I'm hoping the target is Gyrios. Rolling the d8 again with Harl being targeted on a 1 4 and Gyrios on a 5 8. The roll. A 3. It's Harl. There is a real chance that this round will see the end of the Dwarvarian Chief. Well, let's get this over with. A 9 will hit. The first claw. A 12. Doing. just two points of damage. Harl yet lives with seven hit points left. The other claw. A 17. Ah, these rolls. Okay, a d8 for damage. It's an 8. The second claw grabs Harl and Numenax leaps into the air, with the dwarf held, helpless and unable to get free. When she flies clear of the mountain, she lets go, and Harl plummets thousands of feet into the mist below, never to be seen again. Now she circles back and faces the lone armored giant. Will she stay and finish it? Rolling morale one last time. A three. Oh, she's staying. I think she knows she's already dead and hopes to make this last kill before she bleeds out. Round seven Initiative Naranuminax a 2 Gyrios a 6 Neruminex lands right before him and Gyrios, his heart and mind caught up in a storm of conflicting emotions, rushes up, swinging his mace wildly, and within 11 misses. Oh! It's the dragon's turn. Rolling 2d20 for her claws. Wow, a 3 and an 8. Both somehow miss, and Gyrios remains as of yet unharmed as a new round begins. Round 8. Initiative. Narinuminax. A 1. Gyrios. A 5. Gyrios regroups mentally and puts everything he's got into this swing. 18! That's it! This hit is sure to be devastating with all of the enchantments in play. Here's the roll for his plus one mace. A six would explode the die, and wouldn't that be fitting? Here goes. I've only rolled a three, but you know, it might just be enough. Adding his strength, the mace's enchantment, and the blessed spell brings this to a six. Nera Numenax has eight hit points, but hang on, we are not done. Girios cast Striking at the beginning of combat, and his giant size will double the physical damage. The roll for the Striking spell, a two. And now to double the non-magical damage, it all adds up to 12. Gyrios, frowning in concentration and intent, brings his mace down in a carefully aimed overhead swing that lands right between the dragon's eyes. (laughs) Neronoumenax's brain rocks inside her skull. She vomits as her eyes roll back in their sockets. Then she shudders and collapses, dead before her body and what is left of her head hit the ground. Combat is over. The quest is complete. And so is this tale. Almost. Epilogue. The bells clanged and jangled, reverberating through the single tower of the Church of the First Light, while the autumn rains fell over the Meyer district of Camertine's capital city of Silmoral. It was early in the afternoon. A cloudy grey sky was visible through a large window which was filled not with stained glass but iron bars that had been worked into the outline of the sun. It served both as protection and decoration for the little church that was rumored to have been paid for with dwarven silver some fifteen years ago. Although the rain was cold, inside the church was warm. The prior always kept a fire burning in the hearth of his study during the colder months of the year. A slender man of middle age, he wore a neatly trimmed beard of grey and had hazel eyes that somehow seemed both kind and sad at the same time. The prior leaned back on a comfortable leather chair across from one of his students. He had just finished telling a long, long story. The pupil, named J. Arca had been with him only four days, but he had already made quite an impression. To date, all of the church's novices had come from poor families, whereas Jayarka had been raised in the wealthy merchant's district of Upper Silmoral. This alone distinguished him, but he was also a precocious youth, and at just nine years of age, had proved himself to be quick of study, very disciplined, and remarkably insightful. Is that really how it ended? Yes, that is how it ended. And the dragon never even touched you? Not even once. Mazagar is my shield, as one day he will be yours. But all the same, the experience must have left you deeply wounded. That was twenty years ago, did you say? Gyrios looked profoundly sad for a brief moment as the old hurt, never far away, resurfaced. Then he nodded as he replied, Being so young, you nonetheless have great wisdom, novice Jayaka. Twenty years is a very long time. I should think that you would yet carry those scars, though it has been so long. My heart was broken on that day, my son. Do you think that it will ever be whole again? Furios looked up at the wall over the fireplace mantel. His mace was mounted there, permanently attached to the wall by metal rings. Since the day atop the Cloud Spur, since the defeat of Nerunuminax and the loss of everything he held dear, he had lived with the curse of self-doubt. He could have healed Harl. Instead, he had used his weapon. In his wrath, he had killed the worm. Had he killed Harl too? So, from that day, he vowed never to act with violence ever again. He had set the mace here in his study to remind himself every day that there was always a better choice. It was a symbol of his resolve to never fight again and instead to devote his life to teaching and healing. Navus Jayarka was looking at him patiently, with an expression on his face that seemed almost parental. Mazagar's wonders never ceased. Gyrios couldn't help a brief, wistful smile. Well, hope is the sunrise. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. Just like Girios, Umora, Eridine, and Harl, we've come a long, long way from where we began. I'm so grateful to you for keeping me company on the journey. For all of your reviews, shoutouts, and comments. For anyone who ever told a friend, hey, there's this podcast you might like. I appreciate it more than I can say. Gratitude is also due to the many, many voice actors and other creative contributors who have lent their talents to the show. This episode features Jared Grimm, who has been the longest-running guest actor in the show's history. Thank you, Jared, for really being there for the long haul. You can find Jared on Twitter at Crazy Drunken Elf. There is also one last newcomer to Season 1. Playing novice Jay Arca is Kit Williams, who closed the season on just the right note. Kit, thank you for doing such a great job. For those who wish to get in touch with me, I'm at ManticoreTale on Twitter and Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. If you prefer, you can always email me. I respond to every single email I get. Reach me at TaleOfTheManticore at gmail.com. Lastly, I have a blog where I post show notes and all kinds of other odds and sods related to the show. It's TaleOfTheManticore.blogspot.com if you'd like to take a look. The next installment of the show will be a brief combination, retrospective, and prospective. I'll share some thoughts on Season 1, and then talk a bit about what I intend to do for Season 2, which is coming up directly after, with no hiatus. Season 2 will have a few minor changes, but for the most part, I'm keeping things the same. I'm truly excited about Season 2. But as for Season 1, this is it. Thanks again for joining me on this game, story, and adventure where chaos rolls.